Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. with that mic in your hand. It's time for school. Rock school. With your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Yeah, and, and when that happens within a band, the trust level's like, so we've been on this journey and I have one little, you know, sidestep here. I need 12 months of a break. Are we okay? And they go, no, we're going to keep going. <laughs> like, what's the hurry? Couldn't we, like, take some time off, write some music? We don't have to go on tour. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show here on the Rock School Radio Network. My name is Joe Burns. Once again, I'm sorry, Tammy is not in the studio today because I've received a slew of books to take a look at. COVID-19 sort of stopped this idea of disseminating books over the summer, but now that things are starting to get back to normal, books are starting to make their way back into the publishing houses and being sent out to radio stations and such. Today, we're going to talk to author Alan Vandenberg. Alan Vandenberg came up with a book called EQ Killed the Radio Star. Now, you may very well think that EQ means equalization. It doesn't. This has a secondary title of How Emotional Intelligence Can Crush or Crash Your Organization. And what he does in order to tell the theories that he's created, he picks bands that have not only stayed together, but broken up. And believe it or not, I can throw Van Halen at him, and he's able to tell me what the problem was and why the band broke up. So, without further ado... EQ Killed the Radio Star, How Emotional Intelligence Can Crush or Crash Your Organization by author Alan Vandenberg here on the Rock School Radio Show. On the phone with me, Alan Vandenberg, the author of EQ Killed the Radio Star, How Emotional Intelligence Can Crush or Crash Your Organization. That, uh, Alan, that's a heck of a title there. That's a lot of words and letters. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it was interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I I'm interested in this because you you contacted me yourself as the author and sent the book along, and I remember when I got it, all I could think to myself was, you know, this is another one of those business books like, you know, who stole my cheese and and that kind of stuff. But that's not what it is at all. Uh, number one, EQ killed the radio star. EQ doesn't stand for equalization, as in change the highs and mids. Tell us what EQ stands for. Yeah, EQ stands for emotional quotient. And uh, what it is, is it's based on some work that was done in the 90s uh, by a guy named Daniel Goldman uh, around emotional intelligence. But we call it EQ, emotional quotient. And, and basically the formula is this, is that 75% of a person or a rock band's success is not their IQ. So that where does it fall? It falls under this, uh, this EQ uh, emotional quotient or emotional intelligence. Now, IQ, you mean that as it is. You mean IQ as intelligent quotients. I'm like, I'm a 142, you're a 138, that kind of thing. That's what you're talking about. 
Yeah, yeah. And in the rock band world, it, it's basically can they play or not? I mean, most rock bands are put together because you got four uh, four guys or you know a, a team, a group of people that want to play, and and uh, and they start a rock band. Did you decide to take this idea? And it it is it is a bit of a business book. Uh, and I can see how this becomes something that you would go around and talk to people about. But was it, I mean, you a big music fan or was it just a, a decision to try and sell books to take this and, you know, wonderfully apply it to this world of rock music? Well, you know, Joe, I had, I had been uh, traveling around uh, speaking on emotional intelligence and I, I kind of needed some way to connect to the audience. And I just started doing... Um, do, started talking about this idea of uh, rock bands are put together because of, of, of IQ and they break up because of EQ or lack of EQ. Mm-hmm. So, you know, drama, big egos, you know, people can't handle the fame. And that was kind of what started it. And as I started speaking about it, and, and I usually, you know, spend about 10 minutes or so when I'm doing a presentation, I start talking about this EQ and IQ formula compared to rock bands that people, are, uh, they just gravitated to it. And so for the last you know, 10 years, I've been using this as a, as a part of the presentation, and people seem to love it. I mean, it doesn't matter, uh, young, old, uh, male, female, they, they just love that part of it because they know that, that that's why a lot of rock bands uh, blow up and implode is because they can't get along or the drama or whatever. Um, it's not because they can't play. Well, that's for sure. Hey, look, have you ever watched VH1's Behind the Music? That that has to be simple research for you. Yes, absolutely. And and you know, um, it, yeah, that that you know, they they were on the air for I don't know how long. Uh, I don't know, fourteen, fifteen years or so. And that's what um, you know. Absolutely, watched it every every week. It was on. Um, I was fascinated by rock history. I've always been fascinated by rock history and. You know, I think that's why it was so popular is because people wanted to see the behind the scenes of what really happened to this band that imploded, you know, whether it was Sticks or Journey or, you know, the Eagles. Um, it, it, it was, it, you know, it, that series did very well for a reason is because people who love music wanted to know about their favorite musicians and what happened to this band that I grew up with. And that's kind of what happened for me is the more I started exploring this, the more I started thinking, well, my favorite bands broke up not because they couldn't play. Just one of the, you know, the lead singer decided, hey, I want to go solo. And we're like, what is he doing? He just broke up my favorite band. And, right. And that's kind of what happened. <laughs> and and the thing is, I you know, you, you, you might as well be describing my favorite band. I didn't dislike, you know, the, the Sammy Hagar version of Van Halen. I didn't dislike it, but it wasn't the original. I didn't dislike Dave's solo stuff, but... 
It yeah. wasn't the original. It was it was like instead of eating juicy fruit, I was chewing tea berry. Look, it ain't bad, but it ain't it ain't the original. It's yeah. not Van Halen, and that's exactly what happened. Was you know, the, the, and the other thing that's very interesting about rock bands is, especially the ones that seem to blow up, they weren't they weren't together for very long. So if you look at Van Halen, who I know is one of your favorite bands, yeah. listening to the show every week, you know, they were only together for seven years. Well, and recording, and, yeah, and, yeah, recording. You know, and, and of course they were good, longer than that, but I mean, their recording career was a fairly short amount of time. And then David Lee Roth, you know, took off, did his solo thing, um, and, and they literally could not get along <laughs> as a band anymore. <laughs> it, it seems odd, and I, I'm, I'm going to, I'll make a statement and then I'm going to ask you a question. It seems odd to me when the money is that huge. Me as a guy who, I mean, I don't make a, I don't make a terrible living, but I don't make Van Halen money. And I don't make Aerosmith money. It just seems to me with that kind of money that the guys would look at each other and say, look, I hate you. I, you know, I hope you drive off the edge of a cliff, but this thing we have created is so successful, is so, it's such a moneymaker. We can't break up, but that doesn't ever seem to be the pitch. And the journey that they go on, I mean, a Van Halen who really, you know, started in California, working their way up, you know, doing, you know, doing all the work it takes to be a successful rock band. And here they are at the top and they just can't seem to handle it. And, you know, um, you know, Van Halen for sure, you know, they've tried to get together, back together again a few times and all these things keep popping up. And again, this isn't about IQ. This isn't about that David Lee Roth can't sing anymore or Eddie Van Halen can't play guitar anymore. It's they can't work together. Yeah. That <laughs> that seems crazy. odd to me. It does. So let me just ask you this, and I'm gonna start hitting some basic bands. Have you okay. found it? Have you found the Holy Grail? Now, it's one thing to point out the problem. I can sure as heck point out the problem. Can you then fix it, Alan Vandenberg? Well, I, I, I don't know if I can fix it, but I can certainly point to some awareness within bands on where things kind of went, went to a, a different level of we can't work together anymore. Um, and where that begins is, is, is this idea that, um, you know, certainly egos get big. Uh, the money grab is something that's there. Um, you know, I always say that, you know, bands are put together because of IQ, they can play, but they break up because, you know, I wrote the song, so I get the royalties and, and other band members like, no, wait a second. We collaborated on that. Didn't we? No, no, no. I want that. And so now you got lawyers involved and you know what happens there. Yeah. (laughs) And so, so there are good examples of, of, of bands that have been able to sustain um, for long periods of time. And so, you know, one of my favorite bands I talk about when I do presentations and keynotes is is the band U2. For 40 years, they've been together, the same four guys. And, uh, <laughs> see, you know, see <laughs> when I read that, I thought to myself, you know, they could have broken up. The- oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the amazing thing about the amazing thing about YouTube to me that's so fascinating is talent level wise, when they started in nineteen eighty, so they put out their first album, Boy, in nineteen eighty. And I remember I, I went to the record store, I got it, and and they weren't a great technical band. No. As a matter of fact, um 
Matter of fact, the edge, the style that he has that everybody copies today was innovated because he didn't really know chord structures and, and scales and stuff like that. So he was kind of playing around with a toy. And and not that he's a bad guitar player, don't get me wrong, but but from talent level wise, you know, Bono can sing really well and the edge is you know, but they had this different kind of sound. And and interestingly enough, you know, here we are forty years later and the same four uh, guys are in the band, and so one of the one of my favorite questions to ask when I when I'm talking about this in my keynotes and kind of dive off into this EQ and 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 rock band stuff is so I, I ask the crowd I go well who's the lead singer of U2 and everybody goes well Bono yeah everybody knows that I go yeah. okay well who's the bass player is it Clayton who's the bass player is it Clayton Adam Clayton yeah thank you know you. how many people do yeah. You know how many people do not know the answer to that, Joe? A lot, sure. It's amazing. So so where I go is this, is why doesn't Adam Clayton get mad because he's not the face of you too? It's a fair question. Doesn't. It's a I fair mean, question. You know, he just doesn't. He's been in the band. He, I, I, you know, I don't know what the dynamics, I've never met you two. I don't know anything about them other than what I read, and I'm a huge fan. But it's just interesting to me that that dynamic of he, he kind of knows his role and he kind of plays that role out. And, you know, you two had some, they had some drama in the 80s um, that they worked through. And if you read through biographies and, and watch, you know, just um, things about them, they had to work through some things. So it hasn't been perfect for them. But that's always fascinating to me that you've got a, a bass player that nobody really knows about and he's okay with it. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to go solo. Okay, we need to take our first break so our affiliates can play their commercials and do all the business that needs to be done. But we'll be back in just a moment, one minute actually, to talk more to author Alan Vandenberg about EQ Killed the Radio Star.
Okay, look, I broke this up into four areas. Breakups, ban- bands that broke up, bands that stayed together, solo careers, and then possibly getting back together. So, look, I'm going to get to the breakup. I, I have interviewed uh, more people that have written about Van Halen so I'm going to ask you, because nobody knows the story. Ed won't talk. Dave won't talk. Why did Van Halen break up? Whose fault? Well, I, I don't know if I know the answer. All I can say is um, there was a People uh, magazine article in, in June of 1996 where Eddie explained that there was a lot of tension within the band and, and it had gotten you know bad over the years and that you know, that, that he just wanted out, that David Lee Roth just wanted out. And so of course, when you go and you say, well, I want out, but I'll still stay, but I'm going to do a solo album and I'm going to do it like this. And I mean, it just, it just makes it to where it makes it very, very difficult to stay together as a band when it's, um, when when those kind of things happen. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to go to another breakup and I know, you know, this one up, down through under, I want to talk to you about kiss but on the same aspect, I, I got to ask you first about that picture in the book with you holding a Stratocaster, brother. That's some hair. What happened to all of that? <laughs> that uh, that was the mullet, the curly uh, mullet, if you will, from the eighties. Um, you know, I was in a, I was in that rock band in high school. We were called Radiation. <laughs> uh, we were we we had a little logo. There's a story of where I, I actually and thank God there's no video of this, but we my my mom actually bought a parachute. And we had this idea that I was going to, you know, hook it to my arms. And we're going to have this fan blowing. It was going to be this incredible part of the show. And it was a complete disaster. Um, I got tripped up in this parachute the entire show. And, of course, we had wired mics back then. So it, it was just kind of crazy. And, you know, but we put that band together because we actually were good enough to play some of our favorite songs. You too, for instance. Yeah. And, um, and, and we didn't break up because we had a bunch of drama. We broke up because... You know, um, we just we didn't have any more gigs to do. Um, we, we set out to do a world tour, and we played about four shows in Tulsa. <laughs> yeah, the one-stop world tour. Yeah, and, and so, we, you know, but all of us play. As a matter of fact, the drummer, um, he was 14 at the time. He ended up uh, going into music as a profession, and he played for Leon Russell until wow. uh, in Leon Russell's band until he passed away recently, you know, over the last, I think it was two, three years ago. Yeah. And uh, but a, but a great guy and but but we still remain friends. I mean, I don't see him as much as what I used to, but uh, we all still play. But it just it just didn't work out. And when you when you lose that motivation, which is an EQ skill, when you lose that motivation as a band, you kind of dissolve. And so that's kind of what happened to uh, the band Radiation. <laughs> so what the band Radiation uh, obviously uh, spawned a Kiss.
go in opposite direction. You've mentioned you two a zillion times, but if I'm not mistaken, and I'm sure people can argue with me, the band that has stayed together consistently the longest from the original people is that little band from Texas, ZZ Top, who I've seen now three times. Uh, how is... How does that happen? I mean, I, I have friends from high school I, I still want to kick in the knee. How is it possible that these guys have been together going on 40-plus years? What is their emotional intelligence? Well, it, 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 if you get an opportunity to actually watch the Netflix biography called That Little Old Band from Texas, it's out on Netflix, you watch that video and, and how they were able to stay together. Um, you know, through all the, you know, of course they had the drug thing that happened to, you know, one of the band members and, you know, they, they, you know, in the very beginning, uh, you know, the record label didn't even know what to do with ZZ Top. They were like, what is this? Is it country? Is it rock? Is it Southern rock? And so they had this fight thing with the label and all that stuff in the, in the seventies, but they were able to really put that behind themselves. Um, that movie is really interesting to kind of watch how they are able to kind of respect each other's differences and support each other along the way. And, um, you know, here we are uh, again, the longest standing band, um, you know, uh, again, over 40 years, um, that they've been together and been able to do it and, and still, and still enjoy each other <laughs> under the, yeah, or at least stand enough under that, yes. under that umbrella, there is also the band that, was the lineup but then after losing a member that's when everything went down think rush rush will never tour again they've already made the statement and led zeppelin as well they've you know they're not gonna i know they've played a gig but they're not gonna tour again as led zeppelin that member left and that was the end of it does that fall into the eq yeah, I think so. And and again, another rockumentary, which I you know I think these rockumentaries are just so awesome. They're out there beyond beyond the lighted stage, which is a rush documentary, um, a, a, explains very detail about how that band here they started together in high school, and and they you know a, a lot of critics when they first came out absolutely hated Getty Lee's voice. Yeah, they just couldn't stand him. <laughs> I mean, he he just got ripped from every everybody who did album reviews and all that but here they are high school buddies getting together that they, they you know they have some iq skills obviously and how did they stay together is because they really stayed together and and what you know the my in in the rush element of, of eq one of my favorite stories is what the band did when neil pert the drummer or peart i'm sorry i misspelled it yeah. or i misquoted it but neil peart, neil peart who is the drummer he lost his, his wife and his daughter in a 10-month time frame. Right. Yeah. And it was tragic. And, and, and they talk about this in the movie that, that the band, you know, put out a press release saying there's been some tragedy going on with the band. We're just taking a pause. And, and they kept being pressured. Are you guys going to play again? They go, no, mm -hmm. we're, we're going we're gonna to wait. And in the movie, they talk specifically about the fact that they go, no, we, ne we never going to get another drummer. Like you could replace Neil Peart anyway. But, but they they were planning on never touring and playing again until he until he decided he was going to play again. Yeah. So what Neil did was he took a motorcycle ride for, I don't know, uh, 14 months, went from Canada all the way down to South America, 
played around, kind of got his thoughts together and came back and said, okay, I'm ready to play. And they went back together and went on tour again. You to know, me, that, that's the piece of you do that to a band member and you're going to be there forever. I mean, and yeah. my, my, one of my favorite scenes in that, in that movie is the very end where they're running the credits. And, and Alex Lyson and Getty Lee and Neil Peart is sitting around a table and they are laughing and joking and having a great time, drinking a little wine, and just, they're, they're so happy together. And it's because I think they've been through so much together and they decided to stay together. Look, let me throw out some names at you. Uh, I, I keep going back to you know Van Halen. I mean, I can work Van Halen into a muffin recipe, but <laughs> David Lee Roth goes solo and it goes bad. Freddie Mercury tried to go solo and it didn't go well. But then you've got Sting who goes solo and it goes fantastically. Michael McDonald goes solo. And I understand he wasn't one of the original doobies, but the fact still remains he was there through some of their major, major, major hits. Why is it that some solos work and some don't? Yeah, you know, originally when I was was working on the book, um, you know, EQ Kill the Radio Star, it actually started out as like a research project. And what I was trying to figure out is what solo, what band had the solo artist leave and go solo and actually did better than when they were in the band. And so, you know, Journey came up, as we mentioned before, and, and Sting was one of the first people that I, like, looked at the record sales and I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, he, like, blew it out of the water, I mean, as far as record sales. And, and, and he was able to leave the police, a very successful band, and have a very... A good solo uh, career as far as record sales. But interestingly enough, the thing about Sting that I thought was very interesting is, so he collaborated with, with, with obviously the band, the band police and, and, you know, had these hit records in the, in the eighties. But, you know, when he left to go solo, he actually cre- uh, collaborated with some very interesting people that helped his career as far as being able to move to a solo artist. Um, most solo artists can't just you know do it on their own. They have to collaborate with somebody. At least that's that's my opinion anyway. Um, and and police and and Sting actually did that. He you know his first album in 1985 was called um, the Dream of Blue Turtles. Do you remember that one? Oh, I and do. And he collaborated with some of the best yeah. American jazz musicians that were around. I mean, Bradford Marcellus was on that record. Uh, Kenny Kirkland. I mean. He didn't just like go off and say, I'm going to do my own thing. He actually found some other people to collaborate with. And I, 
I think that's one of the keys uh, as well to being a solo artist. From Dream of the Blue Turtles, his song Englishman in New York, or the song Russians, as yeah. I listen to those, now when, when he got into the second one and soul, you know, these are the soul cages and things like that, it sounded more like Sting. But I remember listening to Dream of the Blue Turtles, and except for the title track, which was just them goofing around for two and a half minutes, uh, it, to me, I get it, it was a lot of jazz players and such, but if you had simply put Copeland behind him, that could have been a police album, and it would have been the exact same thing. The first David Lee Roth album was a Van Halen album. Instead of Eddie, yeah. it was Steve Vai playing it. So... Yes, he was. It, it sounds Michael McDonald's stuff sounds like what a fool believes from yeah. from that. It, it's it's like the band went around him. Now let's let's turn this around and talk about a band that broke up, couldn't keep the EQ together, and then got back together. Think Aerosmith. Joe Perry runs over a glass of spilled milk and starts the Joe Perry Project. Aerosmith can't do it. He comes back and then all of a sudden, permanent vacation throws him to the top of the chart again. Is it, yeah. is it that they grew up or is it what? How did the emotional thing break and then come back together? I, you know, some of that has to do with just humility. Um, I think going back to uh, Freddie Mercury and Queen, I think he got humbled quite a bit when he wasn't successful. And I think that might have happened a little bit with Perry as well is, you get out on your own, you go, well, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> Both in record sales and, I mean, you're used to touring with the, with guys you know, I mean, and people that you know, that's why you why you put the band together was, you know, we're, hey, isn't this fun? We're, we're, you know, we're climbing the ladder, we're being successful, we're on the radio, we're all, you know, all these things, and you have these band members that it's like a family. And so uh, I think that's part of it is um, they, they get out away from the family and realize maybe it's not as as fun and not as, um, you know, enjoyable, you know, as, as, as it would be otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I, I owned all three Joe Perry Project albums, and what they sounded like was the one track that was allowed to be a Joe Perry track on every Aerosmith album. It just sounded like somebody collected them all together and turned it into, a, you know, the Joe Perry Project. And Which makes you wonder why they didn't just stay together. <laughs> it, it did. I, 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 and I hate to say this because, like, I'm not in their inner circle, but it, right. I wonder why bands don't look at each other. I, I'm, I'm almost positive it was Bon Jovi that at the end of when they had so much success with Slippery When Wet, at the end of it, they looked at each other and could not stand the physical presence of the other person. But instead of, of blowing themselves apart, what they did was say, okay, I'll see you in six months. And they walked away. There's some emotional intelligence to that. I can't stand you, but I'll, I'll bet in three months I can. I think that was a big show in Philadelphia that they got, they got done with that show. And they were like, they all four got on all, all their own jet planes and said, I'll see you in six months. Yeah. And they <laughs> left. I think, I think there's something to that. I love my family to death, but I'm standing out here in the studio by myself, and I'll do this for a while because you need to get away. Okay, time for the second break on Rock School. In one minute, we'll continue EQ Killed the Radio Star by author Alan Vandenberg. Once again, on the Rock School Radio Show.
Okay, look, do me a favor here, Alan. Lay out a plan for a band to stay together. And I'm, I'm throwing you a softball here because, you know, you, you suggested to me here are the steps to do it. Go ahead, lay out the plan. How does a band stay together? Yeah, well, here's some things to consider for sure is, I, I, you know, it starts with listening. It starts with listening with, to each other. And, and, and listening, if you think about collaboration and the way that works, is you have to listen to the other person. And it's when the most tension and the most collaboration occurs is when you're able to listen to each other. And, again, as money and ego and fame come about, you know, um, lead singers, guitar players, drummers, they go, well, you don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, or this is a this is a uh, this is a dumb chorus to this song, you know, and instead of, you know, a, you know, wind it back a few years when they're all kind of working together. So I think the second one. Uh, so listening is first one. Second one is, is to manage yourself, managing fame, money, you know, drug access, drama, all of that. Um, it takes each individual member really committing to the band and committing to themselves of managing themselves um band after band we consider and name them all of just you know the money comes and then the drugs come and then it's just an absolute implosion of a band um when you've got you know a guitar player that won't show up for um recording sessions like ace freely of kiss he wouldn't show up for recording sessions so they're like okay we'll grab a studio guy here we go and and you know that that uh that that piece is 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 absolutely critical uh, balancing your ego is the next one. I think we've talked enough about that, but uh, that's a tough one. And then, uh, and then I, I think this talks a little bit about it. We talked about it a little bit, but the appreciating the the unique diversity and gifts that each band member brings. Um, um, you know, it comes to mind is um, when Rush was experimenting with electronics in the eighties. Like Eddie Lee was, you know, bass player, and now he's playing keyboards. And Alex Lifeson, who's the guitar player, he, he's looking around and he's like where am I supposed to fit in this music? Uh, you know, and, and, and so, but he figured it out because they were committed to each other. So, but he could have been one of those scenarios where Alex was like, well, I, I don't, there's nothing for me to play here. Yeah. So what do that I do? appreciation for all of those experimentations that happen along the way um, is really, is really critical. And then the last one is being able to collaborate, collaborate and communicate. So there, there, there's a lot of, you know, overlapping of some of those, but, you know, it's it's uh, it is difficult. I, I I can't imagine just the um, you know if you think about the movie that thing you do where it tracks a one hit wonder band yeah and and through their their uh, you know their rise to fame and their fall in just a very short amount of time. There's a lot of bands that do that, and that's why uh, they call them one hit wonders. There's a there's a I, I know I've brought this up on the show before, but there's a Frank Zappa song called Joe's Garage. And it simply goes on and on and on about how this band is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And out of the clear blue sky, it just stops and says, and the band broke up. And you shake your head going, what? I'm sure Zappa watched 10,000 bands. Oh, they're pretty good. Oh, they broke up. We're the, you know, look at them. They're Oh, they broke up. That, hmm. Quick, quick question. I have, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. Yeah, well, and my favorite is, my favorite is the Beatles. Because their story is absolutely amazing. You know, they were only recording together from 64 to 1970. That's six years. Now, I know they spent some time, you know, obviously working through things. and But they came to the U.S. in 64, 1964. Yep. They actually only toured for two years. 
And if you remember that famous uh, interview where they're, you know, they get the Pan Am sign behind them, and they are having a blast. They're joking around. Somebody says, "Hey, you're you're as good as Elvis," and they're having all this fun. <laughs> Ringo, so, it's so not true. It's not true. <laughs> yeah, they were having a blast. By 1966, they're they're playing their last show in the U.S. at LA at the LA Dodger Stadium. And they leave that show in an armored vehicle because they're literally cocooned. They can't go out in public. And so from 66 to 1970, all they're doing is recording these incredible albums every six months that they never planned on playing live. And so they're doing all this experimenting and, you know, all this. But for six years, that's as long as the Beatles were together from a recording standpoint. By 1970... They're at Abbey Road Studios, or they're at the studio there at at, uh, at um, Abbey Road, and they're like, "We're done. Like, we're we're dissolving everything. We're gonna go play a roof concert, which they did in 1969, and and that was their last show they ever played together. They never play together again. And well, and you read the the story about the Beatles, and they just wore themselves out. I mean, they're putting an album out every six every six months. And incredible. I mean, the Beatles are the best-selling band ever. And they're putting out this incredible music, but it just drained them. What they were in and the cocoon that they were in, um, they couldn't live a normal life. And and then the pressure of, you know, putting out hit after hit after hit and all the people that followed them. And by 1970, there's a picture on the front of, uh, where all four of them are sitting on the front, uh, front porch of Abbey Road Studio. And they, not only were they not shaven, that's not the point. You look at their eyes and they're just done. They're just wiped out. And so then you start adding the drama of Paul McCartney's got an album he's, he's waiting in the wings to release. John Lennon's got an album he's made waiting in the release. And they have Let It Be just sitting right there as their last album to be released. And they're having this big drama discussion about who's going to be released first. And, and they were just... They were just wore out and incredible. I mean, it's the best band ever in the world, but their history from an IQ and an EQ perspective, their IQ was incredible. I mean, the talent level and the, you know, just the chord structures and the things that they were doing in the studio and live were incredible. I mean, they played that 1964 show on uh, live on TV. It was live and you can hear everything that's, that's there. And to go from that to where they just, they're done. They can't work with each other anymore creative differences in 1970 was what broke up the Beatles and wasn't really necessarily Yoko Ono I think it was just a matter of they were one they were done working with each other yeah I you know I can't I can't blame Yoko Ono come on any any more than I can I can blame somebody that was dating Ringo or what have you
Hey, Alan Vandenberg, the name of the book EQ Killed the Radio Star, How Emotional Intelligence Can Crush or Crash Your Organization. If somebody wants to get their hands on it, it's not a very big book. I read it in one sitting. Uh, How do they get it? Uh, Good booksellers everywhere? Yes. I mean, you can go to EQKillTheRadioStar.com. If you uh, buy it from there, I'll sign the book and uh, send you a nice guitar pick with the logo on it. Yeah, I got Uh, that. But it's also available (laughs) at Amazon.com and BarnesandMobile.com. So, yeah. Thank you. Okay, got another book in the wings. You gonna you gonna write something else? Tell us more about rock stars. Oh, I, yeah. I, you know, it's this thing is kind of taking a journey, and it's kind of interesting. Good. When you do it, you give me a call. Yeah. Thank you so much, Joe. You bet. Thank you, brother. 